John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Kephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Why does Jesus make himself present to us in the Eucharist? Why does Jesus decide to come to us under the appearance of bread and wine? Perhaps as this question is asked, we may say, well, so I can receive him in Holy Communion. And yes, of course, that is a part of it. Or perhaps we can say to ourselves, well, so that way he can continue to be close to us in the tabernacle and adoration. And yes, this too is also partially true. But the primary reason as to why our Lord decides to come to us under the appearance of bread and wine in the Most Holy Eucharist is actually found in the words that we hear John the Baptist speak of our Lord in today's Gospel. Behold the Lamb of God. These words would have carried with it so much meaning for the disciples who were devout Jews. First, as we all probably know, the lamb is the one, the sheep is the one who is sacrificed for the sins of the people. The lamb is the one who pays the price for the sins of Israel. And so we see in this particular gospel here, where John says this, they would have immediately thought of their worship, of the sacrifices that they make in the temple day after day, that ultimately the Lamb of God comes to take away the sins of the world. But then even more fundamental, which is related to that idea within Israel's identity, if we look back in Exodus, the book which defines really who the Israelites are, a people ransomed and freed by God, in the book of Exodus, we see the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, ultimately become the symbol of oncoming, upcoming freedom. Yes, also again, for the sins of the people, that they take the blood of the Passover lamb, put it above their doorposts, that the angel of death may pass over them. And those who do it are thus freed from the tenth plague of the death of the firstborns. So we see in this meaning, in this idea of behold the Lamb of God, there's a lot tied up in it for the Israelites, for the Jews, but then also for us. Because in the book of Revelation, which also John, who writes this gospel, wrote as well, 
There's a particular scene within the book of Revelation, which I think brings it out even a little more clearly, and I even find it, to be honest, like a little funny, the way in which John subverts our expectation. The book that has seven seals is unable to be opened. No one can open it, and John begins to weep because no one can be found that is worthy to open the book of life. But then the angel that has brought John to this heavenly liturgy tells John, do not weep, for the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy, and he will come to open the book of, this, the book of life. But then immediately what happens is John turns and looks, and he doesn't see a lion. In fact, he sees the complete opposite, you could say. Instead, the Lamb of God. Instead of something that you would expect to be strong, God instead presents a lamb who ultimately symbolizes a lamb who has been slain, slain ultimately for the sins of the world, that we might participate in the heavenly liturgy. So the reason why Jesus comes to us in the Eucharist is so that he may continue to offer himself to the Father, so that he might continue in his, he, his eternal act of worship of God as Father, but then also the reason why he comes to us here in that way at Mass is so that way we can participate in that eternal act of worship as well. Because we don't, we participate ultimately at Mass in the Last Supper, in the crucifixion, and in the resurrection. It's all made present here at Mass, and that is the meaning of the Eucharist. The Eucharist is primarily about God. What takes place here at Mass is primarily about God. Scott Hahn, the Catholic author, noted that one of the first things he noticed whenever he went to Catholic Mass was that it was vastly different than his, his experience of Protestant worship, which is either primarily focused on teaching and thus a sort of lecture or sermon or entertainment. He said, but whenever he got to Mass, he was kind of struck by the fact that there was no real entertainment value, and with the exception of the homily, most of the prayers of the Mass were not really of an instructive nature. But what he did notice is that the prayers of the Mass were directed to God. That contrary to our common belief, the prayers of the Mass are directed to the Lord. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about participation in the eternal act of worship. That the sacrifice that took place on Calvary, that the offering Christ made of himself at the Last Supper, the triumph that he won from God his Father on Easter Sunday, are ultimately what it's all about. Or to put it as the Catechism puts it, at Mass, we worship God the Father through Christ the Son in the Holy Spirit. Everything is ultimately about the worship and sacrifice that we make to Him. And that's one of the reasons why when people say, why, Father, can you only celebrate two Masses in a day? Or why is it not ideal 
for priests to really celebrate more than one Mass unless it's necessary. And it's because I stand in the person of Jesus Christ. Every priest stands in the person of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper, at the Crucifixion, and at the Resurrection. Three days of work in an hour. It's a lot if we're truly trying to enter into it. It's not easy, and it's something that ultimately should take something out of us. But then also you are called to participate in this as well. This is one of the reasons why whenever people talk about ad orientum worship, or, you know, as people will say, turning your back on the people, there's something beautiful in that style of worship, ultimately because it emphasizes something. It's not about my relationship to you. It's ultimately that I stand in the person of Jesus and I am bringing your prayers as we face God together to the Lord. You see, at Mass, it's not just that I offer the sacrifice. You too are called to offer the sacrifice of your lives. In baptism, whenever we have original sin washed away, so we get ultimately the triumph of the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain, who takes away our sins. But then we also become beloved sons and daughters of God, which means we share in Christ's sacrifice, his offering, the power. What baptism enables us to do is to offer our lives back to God who gave it to us in the first place. So here at Mass, yes, I stand in the person of Jesus Christ, but also as sons and daughters, you also make your own offering, the offering of your lives in totality, body, soul, and heart, all of it. And that is why I think it is so often sad whenever people leave Mass early. Because he wants the entirety of us. He wants us even for just for that hour. And this is ultimately what heaven is going to be like in a limited sense. This is only a very small taste. But nonetheless, the Second Vatican Council emphasized that the Mass is a foretaste of the heavenly liturgy, where Christ will continue to offer himself to the Father for all of eternity, and we will worship with him forever. And since heaven is forever, you're not getting out of that any earlier either. And so we must recognize here at Mass we have a great opportunity. God invites each and every one of us into that eternal act of worship, the eternal act of creation, we might say, that his Son won for us on the cross, won by coming to us in the Incarnation. Yes, obviously, he wants to give a, himself to us in Holy Communion. I'm not saying that. Yes, obviously, he wants to dwell here day and night so that he can have a conversation with you outside of Mass. Of course. And of course, he wants us to continue the act of Eucharistic worship and adoration. Yes. But primarily what takes place here at Mass is, some, is a phrase that I have used to repeat often that got me in trouble, which is, I don't so much want butts in the pew as much as I want hearts on the altar, as much as I want us to be on fire to offer ourselves entirely to the Lord who wants all of us and who we owe everything as well. And so recognize that, yes, the Lord desires to come to us. That he comes to us so that we might worship better. 
we might more fully offer ourselves day by day, bringing our intentions wherever they may be, loved ones who can't be here, loved ones who have gone on, our struggles, our joys, our triumphs, all of it. Bring it to this altar. Bring all that is on your heart to this altar. Because ultimately, whenever John announces, behold the Lamb of God, and these disciples follow him, it is because they recognize their all. The reason why they were born, the reason why they came into this world, just walk past them. And so, of course, they have to follow him. As we here at Mass are also called to follow him right now in this moment, to participate through my priesthood in the eternal act of worship, but then also in our everyday lives, to go forth and glorify the Lord by our lives.